The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Mythology Explained YouTube channel. Please note that there are two narrators for this podcast, myself, Silas, and Zach. Please enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to Mythology Explained. In today's video, we are going to discuss whether demons can renounce their wicked ways, reform themselves, and return to God, becoming angels again and re-entering the blessed and beatific realm of heaven. At the core of Christianity is the salvation of the human soul. A person who strays from the righteous path and succumbs to sin can, through the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, be guided back to a virtuous and faith-filled existence. Based on what's written in the Bible, and based on the discourse of scholars and theologians, it looks like there's no sin that is truly unforgivable. God's love is boundless, and it is his greatest desire that the soul of each and every person join him in eternal exaltation. So no matter how terrible the transgression, insidious the infraction, odious the offense, or cruel and corrupt the crime, if a person, any person, genuinely repents, lets God into their heart, and turns over a new leaf, and lives out their remaining time in a way that is consistent with the teachings of Christianity, they can be saved and go to heaven and live in perpetual paradise. While this is all well and good for humanity, does it also apply to demons? Can demons, as is the case for even the most disgusting and depraved people, find salvation and once again bask in the light of God as they did before they rebelled and were subsequently expelled from heaven? To be clear, if someone is truly evil, they can't just insincerely go through the motions and end up in heaven. An evil person can't just pretend to repent and be good. Well, they can, but it won't work. Maybe they feign repentance, keep up the facade for the rest of their days, and trick some people. But God can't be duped, deluded, or defrauded. He's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Every person's inner thoughts and motivations are laid bare before him. A profound, paradigm-shifting change has to occur in which a person genuinely comes to feel remorse about their past wrongs genuinely wishes to re-establish their connection with God, and genuinely wishes to live out their lives virtuously in keeping with the Christian creed. Here's how this video is going to work. First, we are going to delve into what repentance, sanctification, redemption, glorification, and salvation are, and how they fit together. Second, we are going to delve into how these concepts apply to evil people. And third, we are going to directly explore the question, can demons become angels again? After delineating in part one what the path from sin to virtue looks like, then discussing in part two how this applies to evil people, we will have laid the foundation to really explore the ultimate fate of demon kind. The idea of a demon's fall from heaven being tantamount to a person's death being especially important. Alright, let's get into it. 1. Repentance, Sanctification, Redemption, Glorification, and salvation. Repentance is the initial step in the Christian journey, a conscious turning away from sin and turning towards God. It involves a sincere acknowledgement of wrongdoing and a heartfelt desire to amend one's ways. Repentance is more than mere regret, it is a change of mind and heart, accompanied by a resolution to follow God's will. For many Christian traditions, repentance is the beginning of the path to salvation and is seen as a continual process, as people regularly evaluate their lives and seek to align themselves more closely with God's principles. 
Sanctification is the continuous process of becoming more like Christ. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, people grow in faith, love, and obedience to God. Sanctification is not an instantaneous event, but an ongoing journey in spiritual growth and moral transformation. People are called to actively participate in this process, cooperating with the Holy Spirit in cultivating virtues and overcoming sinful habits. It is a dynamic interaction between divine grace and human effort, reflecting people's deepening relationship with God. Redemption refers to the act of being brought back from sin and death through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In Christian theology, all of humanity is in need of redemption due to the fallen nature inherited from Adam and Eve. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, paid the penalty for sin, offering redemption to all who believe in him. This concept underscores the great love and mercy of God, who provided a way for reconciliation and reconnection. Glorification is the culmination of a person's journey, the final stage of salvation where they are fully conformed to the image of Christ. This future event takes place at the return of Christ when people are resurrected or transformed into their glorified bodies. Free from sin, pain, and death, they will live eternally in the presence of God, sharing in His glory. Glorification emphasizes the eschatological hope of a future filled with joy and perfection in God's kingdom. Salvation is the overarching term that encompasses all the aforementioned stages, repentance, sanctification, redemption, and glorification. It is the complete work of God in rescuing humanity from sin and death and restoring them to a right relationship with Himself. Salvation begins with the personal acceptance of Christ's sacrifice and continues as a lifelong journey of growth and transformation. Ultimately, it culminates in eternal life with God, a state of perfect communion and joy. 2. How do these concepts apply to evil people and demons? The Bible emphasizes that God desires for all to come to repentance and experience his salvation. In the Gospel of John, Jesus himself declares, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This passage highlights the inclusive nature of God's offer of salvation to all who believe in Jesus. Technically speaking, it looks as though there isn't anything a person can do that permanently precludes them from finding God again. In Christian theology, the consensus among many denominations is that no sin is beyond God's forgiveness if there is true repentance. The concept of grace is fundamental to Christianity emphasizing God's unconditional love and forgiveness. The New Testament teaches that Christ's sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to atone for all sins, and through faith in Christ, salvation and forgiveness are offered freely to all. Jesus speaks of the unforgivable sin or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in the book of Matthew, but interpretations of this vary. Many theologians understand this not as a particular act that is unforgivable, but as a persistent rejection of God's grace and Christian teachings. In other words, it is not that God won't forgive, but that a person won't seek or accept forgiveness. The belief in God's unlimited capacity for forgiveness doesn't diminish the seriousness of sin or remove the need for repentance. Instead, it emphasizes God's overwhelming love and mercy desiring reconciliation with all people, 
no matter their past. However, this doesn't negate individual responsibility to genuinely repent and turn to God, which is a vital part of the salvation process and Christian belief. There is one caveat to all of this, though. A person's destiny is only malleable so long as the sands of mortality are trickling through the hourglass that is the span of each person's life. Anything is possible when a person is alive, but after death, a person's spiritual identity crystallizes, no longer able to be changed, neither corrected nor corrupted. If you were good, to heaven you will go, and in heaven you will stay. And the opposite is true. If you were bad, then it's a precipitous plummet and a permanent stay in that infernal place called hell, devoid of the light and love of God. Said succinctly, if you're human, the door to salvation is always open so long as you're alive. After death is another story. After death, you've made your bed and you have to sleep in it forever. The curtain closes, the last nail is banged in, and there's no going back, ever. But how does this apply to demons? beings of pure spirit beyond the withering of age and the finality of death. Unfortunately for the demon horde, it doesn't look like they've got a lot of options. The judgment on this matter both clear and decidedly not in their favor. At least, this is how it looks per the edicts of Catholicism, the most subscribed to Christian denomination, as is outlined in the Catechism. The Catechism of the Catholic Church speaks to the nature of angels and the finality of their choice. We will now read from a couple of these paragraphs. Paragraph 392. Scripture speaks of the sin of these angels. This fall consists in the free choice of these created spirits who radically and irrevocably rejected God and His reign. Paragraph 393. It is the irrevocable character of their choice and not a defect in the infinite divine mercy that makes the angels' sin unforgivable. There is no repentance for the angels after their fall, just as there is no repentance for men after death. This passage indicates that the choice made by the angels, those who fell and became demons, is final, and there is no possibility for repentance or redemption for them. With respect to spiritual crystallization, the fall of the angels is tantamount to the death of humans. Once an angel falls or a human dies, there's no going back. This understanding is grounded in the nature of angelic knowledge and will, which, being different from human nature, makes the rebellion of demons an irreversible and irrevocable choice. On a more optimistic note, not just for demons, but also for people in hell, there's always apocatastasis, a theory condemned as heretical after its promulgation, that posits everything will be, in the end, rejoined with God, even demons, Satan too, that old serpent. This brings to the surface a pertinent point, which is this. Unhampered by modern orthodoxy, if you explore the catacombs of condemned Christian concepts, you'll stumble upon the skeletons of some interesting ideas. We are now going to wrap up the video by going over what apocatastasis is. Oregon of Alexandria, who lived from the late 2nd to the mid 3rd century AD, was an influential Christian scholar and theologian, known for his extensive commentaries and systematic theology. One of his most controversial ideas was the doctrine of apocatastasis, the belief in the universal restoration of all creation, including Satan and fallen angels. Oregon argued that since God's nature is fundamentally loving and good, 
the divine plan must ultimately lead to the restoration and salvation of all beings, without exception. Oregon based his belief partly on a particular reading of the New Testament, especially passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28, where Paul writes that God will be all in all. This was blended with Neoplatonic thought, which emphasized the unity and harmony of all things. Oregon's belief in the pre-existence of souls and the moral development of all rational creatures also supported this concept. The idea of universal restoration was heavily criticized and challenged by other church fathers. It was seen as undermining the concepts of free will, personal responsibility, and the justice of God. The belief was perceived to diminish the urgency of repentance and the consequences of sin. The Fifth Ecumenical Council in the 6th century AD explicitly condemned Oregon's teachings on several matters, including the doctrine of apocatastasis, declaring them heretical. The concept of universal restoration has not completely disappeared from Christian thought. Some modern theologians and Christian universalists continue to explore and argue for the idea, although often in different ways from Oregon's formulation. These discussions often center on the nature of God's love, justice, and the purpose of hell. Ultimately, in answering whether demons can become angels again, there's two ways you can go about this. The vector of contemporary convention and the vector of no holds barred, let's dig up some millennia old fringe theories that have been rejected since the early centuries of Christianity. From the perspective of what is almost universally believed today, no, demons can't become angels again. But from the perspective of rejected theories that hardly anyone knows about, there's a ray of hope. And that's it for this video. If you enjoy the content, please like and subscribe. Thanks for watching.